The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you'll turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And while you're turning there, our idea of God supplying our needs is generally supplying what I want when I want it. But the reality is that a perfect God supplies what is perfect at the perfect time. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10 when it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, the problem we get into is our perspective is often skewed because we forget the basis of our relationship with God. When you think back of the reality that God chose to love you and me before the foundation of the world. And you know, I've said this in the past probably multiple times, but when you think about Adam and Eve and you think that they blew it in the garden, then why didn't God just wipe them out and start from scratch? It was only two people. But the reality is you and I were in their seed. And if they went, so would we. But the fact that God chose to love them and love you and I to make a plan to redeem us in spite of who we were, you realize that God has a love for us so far beyond our human understanding. Does this sound like a God who will not meet your needs? I'm reminded of the promise that he gave Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29 and how that promise so beautifully fits with you and I today. Uh, Beginning in verse 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Does that sound like a God who will not meet our every needs? And when he says in in Isaiah 41.10, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I've said this before too, but I, I always love the idea, the picture of a small child standing at a busy intersection and the cars are whizzing by and the big loud trucks are going by and he's afraid. But once daddy takes his hand, he'll walk right across the intersection without even a care. And this is the simplistic idea of what Christ has for you and I. The reality is that when you understand him and know him so deeply and so dependently, that like a child taking his hand, he will meet your every need. Often Christians will ask, what's the best cure for being down and discouraged? And you have to answer the best cure for being down and discouraged is to feed your mind and heart with the promises of God. Are you down this morning? Are you discouraged? If so, in the Bible, there are promises to cover what you're going through. I'm convinced there is no need, no anxiety, no worry, no dismay for which God has not made dozens of promises to get us through to following him completely. So let's understand right from the beginning, God has 
promised. God has promised you and I. I read a story of an old French woman not too long ago. Uh, When she was a child, she was taught by her parents to make, write out little promises on small pieces of paper from the Bible. And they were small strips about the size of chewing gum uh, wrapper. And when she would write them out nice and clear, she would roll them up like miniature little scrolls. And when she had 40 or 50 of them, she would stick them on end in this little tin. And her parents encouraged her every day to take out a promise and read it for that day. Well, years later, during World War II, when she was much older, she was feeling very down and afraid because of the battle raging around her. And out of just gut-wrenching fear, she cried out to God for a promise that he would get her through. And suddenly she remembered the small tin that had been long since forgotten. And she went to her dresser and she pulled it out and she took the lid off it and started to walk towards the window where the light was brighter so she could see it. And she tripped on the corner of the carpet and they strewn all over the floor. And as she looked at them, she suddenly got the small prompting of the Holy Spirit. You asked for a promise and I have so much more. And she learned a valuable lesson that morning. Think of the benefits. Just think of the scope of the promises that God has given us. For example, do you need salvation? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 10, 27 to 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Security, the promise of security. And then there are promises concerning prayer itself. One we looked at a few weeks ago in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will literally put a sentinel around your heart and guard it. And then one of my favorites, 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked him. Now, somebody might be quick to say, how do you know the request is in God's will? Well, That's a need that God will supply. Because when you're in the word of God and trusting the spirit to lead you, he will guide you into the right prayer and into the right mind. But then we come to our text this morning that might possibly be the greatest promise in the entire Bible. Because it literally covers every promise in the book. It's Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply... Every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you need salvation? God will supply it. Do you need strength for life's trials? He'll supply strength. 
If you are lonely, God will meet you and comfort you in your loneliness. If you are discouraged, he can lift you up. No need is left out because he says, my God will supply every need of yours. And you see, the reason Paul says that so clearly, it's not your responsibility to meet your need. It's God's. Because God has bought you with the price of his dear son. You are no longer yours, you are his. And God has promised to supply every need. So the key here, the problem to understand here is very, very critical. Problems do one of two things. They either suck you into their vortex that you get mired in, always focusing on the problem, or they will make you see the immensity of what God is trying to do in and through you. So to get a real grasp of what we're talking about, we need to take a verse like Philippians 4.19 and break it down. So I want to look first of all at my God. He says, my God will supply your needs. Well, who was the one Paul was talking about who was able to supply the Philippians' needs? It wasn't any God. He did not say a God or merely the God in whom you happen to believe. Paul was not referring to the gods of the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, or the Romans. When Paul said, my God, he was being specific and personal. Paul's God was Jehovah, the God of Israel who had revealed himself to human beings personally through Jesus Christ. The God is a great and awesome God. He is the gracious and effective God. In fact, all the biblical writers refer to all other gods as merely idols. So the God of Philippians 4.19 is the God who called Abraham out of Mesopotamia when, it was, when he was an idol worshiper like his contemporaries. He was the God who brought him through and led him on. The God of Philippians 4.19 is the God who called Israel out of Egypt, who took her through the Red Sea who provided for her through 40 years in the wilderness and then gave her the ability to conquer Canaan. The God of Philippians 4.19 is the God of David, Elijah, Jeremiah, and all the prophets. The God of Philippians 4.19, he is the God of the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and made it possible for you to be his child. This God stands behind his promises. And if you're trusting in him this morning as your savior, then he is your God too. This same awe-inspiring God is your God. So here's the key that we really need to look at in all of this. The value of the promise depends entirely upon the effectiveness and fidelity of the person believed. Let me say that again. The value of the promise depends entirely upon the effectiveness and fidelity of the person believed. Often, people will ask whether the faith of Christians is any different from the kind of self-delusional faith that many people have to escape reality. They want to know if faith was not purely subjective. And you must admit that there is a subjective element to faith because it's personal. Emotionally, there probably is very little difference between this type of conviction and delusion. But that's only half the story. 
Although there is little or no difference between the two kinds of faith psychologically, there is all the difference in the world whether or not the object of the belief corresponds to the thing believed. For example, there's not much difference between somebody who leans up against a column made out of paper mache that looks like marble and one who leans up against a real marble one. The difference is in the reality of the object they're leaning against. One is fake, the other is not. And that's, but that's where the, the, uh, the comparison begins to take shape. The God of whom Paul speaks is a God who will support his people. He is the real God. And he is the one who can stand behind every situation when he promises to meet your needs. The second aspect of Philippians 4.19 is our needs. The emphasis of the first part of the verse is God. But the second part speaks of human needs. What are your needs? When you came in this morning, what were your needs? Are they financial? Are they emotional? Are they relational? Are they health-related? What is the great need of your heart this morning? I want to point out four categories that will encompass these needs. First is our need for forgiveness. God provides that abundantly, for he offers forgiveness of sins that are past, present, and future. Forgiveness is made possible for us through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we receive it personally, acknowledging our sins before God and accepting his payment. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's every sin, past, present, and future. Now, how is this possible for future sins? Some may ask, how can, how can he possibly cover what I have not yet committed? Well, the key is, is that if you're not capable of saving yourself, you're sure not capable of keeping yourself from sin. And God knows the human heart. And God looks at you through the blood of his son as justified. And so when we come to him in confession and give him our hearts, all those sins are washed away under the blood. So the first need that all of us have is the need of forgiveness. And God promised, hear me now, he promised to meet that need. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted him, you've never said, God, I'm not yours. I want your forgiveness. He has promised to give that to you in childlike faith. The second need is the need for fellowship with God. Forgiveness is not our only need. Our second greatest need is for fellowship with God. Without God, we are simply hungry, empty, and miserable. And may I say, this is probably where 90% of Christians fall. We take Christ, we accept his forgiveness, 
but we never build a relationship. We never build a relationship with him. This is why Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. God created you and I for his fellowship. You see, the Bible tells us that when the God had decided to make man, he chose to make man in his image. Why did we make us in his image? For fellowship. God wanted to lavish his love upon us. He wanted to fellowship with us. He wanted us to be so bonded with him that we could receive his grace and bring him glory. But when sin entered the garden, that relationship was severed. It was cut off. But because God chose to love you and me, he set a plan in place that would forever make that go away. And that was his son Christ to reborn that relationship through his blood. We don't need to be miserable. We don't need to be spiritually hungry. We don't need to be constantly searching and wondering and worrying and saying, God, where are you? Why isn't this working? Why haven't you met my need? What's going on? Because he wants to fellowship with us. I think that one of the great mistakes we make is searching for some kind of mystical relationship with God. We want to experience the supernatural. That's why so many people search after gifts and the various things, because they want to have some kind of supernatural. But do you understand God is a person? And he wants sweet fellowship with you and I as a person. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit when we accept him. Because with the Holy Spirit, he guides us into all truth. We go into the word of God and we read it and we develop this relationship and we develop an understanding. And as we know the word of God, he takes the word of God and he gives us understanding. And the more you're in the word of God and the more you understand about God, the more you realize his closeness. And there is a bond and there is a heart that gets so strong that you're able to endure anything this world throws at you because he supplies every need. I think where we get in trouble often is we know what we need. We don't want it because it'll get in the way of my plan. But that's what absolute surrender is all about. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Every day Paul got up, he had to die to his self, his self-interest. Now, it wasn't that he was to be a robot. It was that the glory of his life was in Christ. He wanted to live for Christ. And so every day he had to die to himself in order to allow the Spirit to live through him. And that's the relationship that God wants with you and I. Our third need is the need for protection. David, the first great king of Israel, had enemies. He had them in his own family. He had them outside his family. He had them in other countries, other nations. But when David came to the end of his life, he wrote in 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 through 3, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you have saved me from violence. This man who had many struggles in his life, the man that God said, here's a man after my own heart, far from perfect, made all kinds of mistakes, cost him a lot of grief, but God protected him. And when you trust Christ with all your heart, he will meet that need and protect you and guide you through this world. The next need that we see is one that we would kind of like to avoid. Our need for testing. Now, we don't often look at this verse in this way. But we need to be disciplined, taught, and tested. If this is the case, then it is also true that Philippians 4.19 is a promise of God to supply the unpleasant discipline and testing. Why? Because we need it. Now, we don't like to think of that. We just want all the needs that help us to go where we're going. But let me tell you something. The greatest need you have is to be disciplined and tested in order to learn how God is working and what God is doing in your life. And that comes in many different forms for every one of us. We're all tested in a lot of different ways. I'm reminded early in the ministry of Harry Ironside, he took a two-week preaching engagement in Fresno, California. But while he was there during those two weeks, he ran out of money. In fact, he had to check out of his hotel. He had to leave his bag at a drugstore to be picked up later. And he began, became very frustrated. And Philippians 4.19 came into his mind. And as he rehearsed the verse in his mind, he got very bitter and angry. And he said, God, I'm out here preaching for you. I'm out here laboring in this church. And I have needs. And they're not being met. What am I to do? And he had a real struggle. He was serving God. Well, later that evening, as he settled down under a tree on the courthouse in Fresno on the front lawn, God began to deal with him. And God began to deal with him and show him that what he was doing was using God, not allowing God to use him. He was preaching and serving on his terms. And he expected God to be there like a little servant to meet all his needs. And God had to remind him, it's not about you, it's about me. And it's about what I am doing. Well, Ironside became very convicted, and he became very humble, and he cried out to God for forgiveness. And he said, Lord, whatever you want to do, you do it. I, I confess this. The next morning, a local man looked him up, invited him home for lunch. Another man took him home for dinner. The church that night just happened to take a love offering for him, covered all his expenses. And at the end of his trip, he went to his mailbox, and here in the mailbox was a letter from his father. His dad said, Harry, when you were preaching that week, I was praying for you. God brought Philippians 4.19 into my mind. And God said, help meet your son's needs. And in the letter, 
was enough to cover all his needs. God will supply all your needs and all our needs. And you know, when I read stuff like that, it really hits home because I know it firsthand. When I turned a deaf ear to the prompting of the Holy Spirit for a couple of years, hanging on to a career that I had worked 30 plus years to develop, and then when the Lord's patience ran out and He took it, I got angry. I got bitter. I screamed very loud prayers. I don't think I've been that angry in a long time. But God, he wrapped his arms around me. And he used this word, the word of his God, of the scriptures, and he said, look, I'm not letting you go. You're my chosen vessel. You can kick and you can scream and you can cry. I'm not letting you go. And I have blessings for you you don't even know exist yet. Trust me. You see, God met my need in the greatest way possible. He broke me down by discipline and tough testing. Why would he be so hard? Because he loved me more than life. He gave his life for me, and he was going to use me, and nothing, not even Craig Malcolm, was going to get in the way. You must understand that the hard times are not coming from a God who bullies. It's coming from a loving, compassionate God who loves you so much. He wants you to be one with him. Your needs are difficult, but they're nothing compared to what he has for you. What he wants to do in and through every one of us is change the world for his glory. And he will supply every single need you have. That's what he wants to do. So when the needs come into your life, don't run and complain. Embrace them. God, you've allowed this. What are you doing? This is difficult for me right now. This relationship is tough. I don't have enough money. What am I going to do? God, I give you myself. You do what you need to do. And so I've come to learn, albeit reluctantly at times, the greatest need meeting God has ever given is the removal of something to give me something better. The closer we get to God, the hotter the refiner's fire. The more we surrender, the more he takes us up on it. But it's always to draw us to a life so close to him that we can scarce take it all in. His ultimate plan is for you and I to be one with him. That's his ultimate plan. Why? Because he created us for his fellowship. Is there ever any part of your day that even thinks about you fellowshipping with God? That's why you and I exist to fellowship with God. 
God created you for fellowship, and he will stop at nothing to get you to that sweet fellowship. The last point of our study in Philippians is God's glorious riches. The final phrase of our text speaks of the measure of supply of God for our needs. The measure is simply this. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God has promised to fill the needs of a believer in Jesus Christ out of the infinite supply of Christ Jesus. He will expand us as time goes on until we can hold more and more. We shall become more and more like Jesus Christ. But even at the greatest extent of all we're receiving, we're not even scratching the surface of what he has. There will always be infinite resources beyond our experience. In other words, you can never exhaust the supply. Can the finite exhaust the infinite? Can that which is corrupt exhaust that which is incorruptible? Can the part exhaust the whole? It's impossible. And in this life, as in the next, God wants it clearly understood by you and I that he is going to meet every needs, every one of our needs. I can't promise you an easy road. I can't promise you a problem-free road. I can't even promise you a pain-free ride. But by the authority of God in the Holy Scriptures, I can promise you that God will supply every need of yours. And he will do it to his glory and what brings him glory. So you see, as we come to communion this morning, this is a celebration that talks about the relationship that you and I have with Christ. We, we do this once a month to remind ourselves that the bread and the cup are a reminder of his broken body and shed blood because he loves you and I and because he longs to meet our needs. And so as we come to this table, I want you to think and meditate this morning. Are you in fellowship with a Savior? Do you even have a relationship with him? Wouldn't it be amazing and awesome if this was the time when you gave your heart to Christ? You may be a Christian and you're holding your heart back. You may love him and you're just hanging on because you're afraid to let go. You don't have to be afraid to let go to a God who's promised to meet your needs. This world will throw everything at you it can. The evil one will stop at nothing. But there is a way to escape by understanding the blood of Christ and the relationship that he wants with you. So as we prepare our hearts with a few minutes of meditation and the men come to prepare for communion, I want to ask you this morning very deeply and very seriously, where is your heart today? Does he own it or do you? And where is your relationship? Do you even have one or are you sold out? Let's take a few times in quiet reflection.